BakerBots LLP provides podcasts for educational purposes only. They are not legal advice. This communication may constitute attorney advertising. Welcome to the Environmental Evolutions Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of environmental law and policy. I'm your host, Megan Burge, coming to you from Washington, D.C. Today's podcast focuses on the intersection of two subjects we've been spending a lot of time on this last year, environmental justice, or EJ, and the Environment Social Governance Movement, or ESG, and a new issue, recent regulatory actions taken by the Securities and Exchange Commission, known as the SEC. Today, I'm pleased to welcome my partners, Ann Carpenter and Alexandra Dunn. Side note, I've been trying to get Ann on this podcast for months now, so I'm extremely excited about this episode. Between Ann and Alex, you have a wealth of knowledge as former regulators, educators, and investigators who are helping companies navigate these very complex issues. Ann and Alex, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Megan. I'm so excited to be here. Welcome, Anne. Glad we got you on board. All right, let's start at the start. EJ is a huge topic, and so is ESG. So let's start with just a level set on the definitions we're going to be working with throughout this podcast. Right. So the first thing to talk about when you ask for a definition of environmental justice is that there is no single definition of environmental justice today. But I will tell you that EPA has on their website a definition that refers to the fair treatment meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income, with respect to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. Now, that's a lot, but our listeners should know that several states have defined the term environmental justice, and communities have their own definitions of environmental justice. And what I think is most important today in 2022 is to acknowledge that when it comes to environmental justice, The term has gotten broader than it's ever been. We're talking about including concepts of climate justice, economic justice, food justice, disaster justice. You know, one EPA official referred to EJ in practice as making sure that communities get more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff. So that means more jobs, more educational opportunities, more access to open space, and less exposure to air and water pollution or concentrated industrial activity or diminishing property values. But at the end of the day, a principle of the environmental justice movement is that really only the community has the right to declare itself an environmental justice community. And that's based on the lived experience of the people that call that place home. Alex, that's really well put. And it does bring home the point that the definition of environmental justice is constantly evolving. It's, it's not a fixed target. And what about ESG? What definitions are we going to be working with today? So ESG is an acronym for Environment Social Governance, which is a means by which companies can be evaluated with respect to a broad range of socially desirable outcomes or goals. It seeks to measure the non-financial impacts of particular investments and corporate operations or opportunities. So ESG has been spurred in large part by an increasing population of millennial investors. And these investors place a heightened focus on equity 
racial justice, and the environment in all parts of corporate operations. This manifests not only in institutional investors, but board members and shareholders and employees seeking greater data and disclosure from companies about their commitment to environmental and social issues. And this includes climate change activities and a company's commitment to an impact on disadvantaged communities, also a diverse workforce, and equity both internally and externally. And these things are really important, Anne. Just to put a less articulate point on this, you know, they factor into corporate financial profitability, right? That's right. Uh, corporate directors have really moved um, beyond short-term profit and loss, though, and they want to see that their companies are proactively addressing the realities of social change. There, There is plenty of evidence, though, that shows that environmental and social performance can impact uh, operational risk, access to capital, and reputation among the general public and investors, which in turn impacts profitability. Well, and I have to say, and this is really leading to some tough questions at shareholder meetings. Just read the headlines. It really emphasizes how important it is for companies right now to benchmark and collect data to inform their community and workforce commitments. So what I'm really hearing is that it's very important for a company to measure its performance in both environmental justice and the ESG arenas. All right. No big deal. No, that's fine. We'll just go do that, Megan. Of course, I'm sure all the listeners are saying no problem. What tools are out there, guys, to do that? Sure. So I know Alex is going to talk a little bit about some of the disclosure frameworks, but what I want to first acknowledge is the Securities and Exchange Commission's recent proposal to require standardized climate change and emissions reporting by registered companies. And that disclosure, which I'm sure most of our listeners are aware. We have a podcast on that one. <laughs> which you should refer to. Is out there for comment through late spring and is widely expected to be finalized late this year. And under that, the first reporting would be in 2024 uh, for the 2023 year. The goal of that rule is actually to increase public access to consistent, reliable, and comparable data regarding direct and indirect greenhouse gas emissions, climate-related costs, and energy purchases. All right, now let's bring it back to EJ. Well, so as climate-focused disclosure and data increases, so too will EJ data. Low-income populations, often communities of color, are arguably poised to really bear the first-line impacts of climate change, giving existing resource inequities. And in connection with the release of the proposed rule, Commissioner Allison Lee acknowledged this, and she noted that the proposal has real potential implications for increasing capital formation in these communities. And this increase of climate-related data is going to present not only a potential for increased capital formation, but a treasure trove of information for entities that are seeking to make climate-related EJ arguments or even policy permitting or enforcement decisions on the federal or state side. And so companies are really going to need to be proactive and understand their EJ impacts and the related narrative based on this ever-increasing universe 
of publicly available data. There's another layer here, though, related to ESG. Alex, can you speak to that? Well, just like climate disclosures, ESG disclosure systems are really evolving. Right now, there are two systems that are primarily being used to address ESG disclosures. One of them is called the Global Reporting Initiative, or GRI, just to add another acronym to this podcast. Love it. And the other is called the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, SASB. One more acronym. Each of these take a different approach to sort of quantifying impacts for the marketplace of ESG. So, for example, the SASB industry sector frameworks require specific disclosures of, for example, the number of facilities located in or near dense areas of population. But GRI, on the other hand, requires reporting on topics that are material to the company, and it's up to the company to make that decision. But what we're seeing under GRI is reporting on local community engagement, monitoring grievance processes, vulnerable groups, and the health and safety impacts of the company's products and services. So we've talked about where EJ fits within the SEC's proposed regulations, and we've talked about where EJ sits within ESG reporting generally. But within the specific frameworks for ESG, where does EJ lie? Well, that is a great question. It's evolving. Uh, Some companies are putting environmental justice in the E category, which is environmental, and some are putting it under S, which is social. So let me give a few examples. A company tracking its environmental emissions performance or its compliance with environmental permits or reducing waste streams or maybe minimizing truck traffic through a community or they want to offer case studies on partnerships or collaborations with their fence line communities or their overall environmental stewardship work, that seems to be fitting nicely into E, environmental. But when we talk to companies, they're also doing bigger things like trying to retain a diverse workforce overall, human rights protection programs if they're a global company. They have charitable foundations and educational investments. One company we've been talking to provides language lessons to their non-English speaking workers, and they've been offering diversity and inclusion training to all of their employees. And that really isn't environmental. It's more social. And so that type of work seems to be considered S. So it really depends how broadly a company is approaching environmental justice. No matter what, the efforts can be benchmarked and tracked, and many times they could fit under one or both letters. And I think what's really important to note from that, Alex, is that companies that are at the leading edge of both ESG and a public focus on equity under those efforts are really holding these ESG SG and EJ discussions, not just in their boardroom or their C-suites, but they're engaging with employees at all levels of the company. And the, the corporate directors in the employees are seeking to understand and assess and evaluate corporate impacts, whether they're local, national, or global. And internally, employees are helping to develop and implement measurable goals around EJ and sustainability, and they're helping to integrate ESG and other equity considerations, including EJ, 
into those values and even into individual performance, including evaluations. We've seen executive performance bonuses even that are tied to performance against social and environmental values and goals. That's certainly a concrete step. You know, we love practical advice on this podcast. We're all about it. With all this variability and all these moving pieces, what advice can we give companies? It's really a perfect time for companies to assess how best to describe consistently in their various reports, on their websites, and even in their internal communications to their staff, what is their organization's strategy and value system around climate and environmental justice, around racial and economic equity, around human rights, and then around stewardship of land, natural resources, and even the local economies in which they operate. And then secondly, as companies consider putting all of this information out to the public through ESG reporting or through their own websites or sustainability reports or a variety of fact sheets, it's really important that any claims made about accomplishments or deliverables in this space around equity and justice can be truly supported by evidence and data. Otherwise, they might walk into that space we've talked about before, greenwashing. So, Alex, I think that that's a great point. And, you know, as companies are putting themselves out there with information and with new data, one recent step that we've seen some major companies undertake are something called racial equity audits. And this is a very new and developing area of review for companies under these audits companies are really reflecting on their current diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI policies and activities. Uh, and these audits, while they are right now focused on racial equity and DEI, they can be a model for other socially focused reviews, including EJ. And so when you're focused on something like EJ, you will be looking toward corporate impacts to disadvantaged communities and operational risk related to those impacts as part of an audit. Undertaking an audit like this in the EJ space would require a baseline assessment of the company's policies, activities, and risk as related to EJ using a lot of existing tools that are out there, such as EJ Screen, the new CGES tool, state mapping tools, EPA's ECHO database, and other NGO public data repositories. Uh, at the end of the day, no two audits, whether it's a racial equity audit or an EJ audit, are going to look the same. And there are a lot of approaches to these kinds of audits. But the idea is anything that's going to be important to a company, including equity and justice, can be and should considered should be considered for measurement and audit just like finances. That was great insight. But let's talk about what you both see on the horizon. Alex, this isn't the first time I've told you I wanted you to take out a crystal ball. If you take it out, take a look. What do you see on the horizon? Well, as you've heard in this conversation, I see a lot more transparency and disclosure from companies. I see more companies getting 
the internal fortitude to start doing these assessments and audits inside. I see more alignment of practices and policies around community engagement. And I think we're going to see better crystallization of where different things fit in the ESG metric. Are they E or are they S? I think we'll get some more definition there. Anne, over to you. Well, I, I totally agree with Alex. And I, I think to really leverage ESG, companies are going to need to take stock of the data. And what they need to understand is that this data creates a narrative. So companies really need to get in front of that narrative. They need to understand what it is, and they need to understand the benefits and risks that that narrative might offer to them. I'm still waiting for someone when I ask them what's in their crystal ball to tell me it's blank or cloudy. (laughs) Hasn't (laughs) happened yet, but I'm still waiting for it. Well, Alex, Ann, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Megan. It's been really fun. I hope Anne comes back. (laughs) That's right. I would love to. Well, listeners, that's all for today's episode. Anne and Alex's contact info is in the episode notes. Additionally, we've included links to materials on the SEC disclosures, as well as a multitude of resources, many authored by Anne and Alex, on environmental justice, including our toolkit. With that, I'm Megan Birch. Thanks for spending time with me. Thank you for listening to this BakerBots podcast. For more information on BakerBots practices, please visit us at bakerbots.com. For over 180 years, through 13 offices in nine countries, BakerBots has the experience, knowledge, and people to solve our clients' most significant legal issues. This presentation is provided by BakerBots LLP for educational and informational purposes only. It is not legal advice. Under the rules of certain jurisdictions, this communication may constitute attorney advertising.